0: Our sermon this afternoon is for Mr. Matt Steele. It is entitled, 1 Peter, Part 2. Good afternoon. We are a little few in number, but it's good to be here. Good to see everybody, and uh, hopefully those that are away are just uh, traveling and having a blessed Sabbath somewhere else, so we we hope that's true. Yeah, Mark touched upon it earlier, a very, very important point. It is the time of the World Cup. The other great religion in the world, right? And I, I don't know if you've seen any of it, any of the coverage, I've seen most of it. Um, and some of those fans are really crazy. It's almost like a religion. And uh, in fact, I, I joke with my wife, that there's an old manager of Liverpool Football Club. His name was Bill Shankly. And he would say, some people think football or soccer is life and death. And he said, it's not. It's more important than that. <laughs> but of course, that's a... Let's ingest. Because what is life and death? What is more important than life and death? And you know, Of course, God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here on this Sabbath day. And we may not paint our faces. And we may not scream and have these baboosalos or whatever they call those noise-making things in the World Cup. We are fanatical about our Savior and about our Father. Now, if you remember, um, last time I spoke, we discussed a little bit of the first epistle of Peter. We kind of went through that first chapter. And we were reminded that uh, we are, in some ways, like Peter and like the other apostles. We're messengers. That we are messengers along with them and all the saints. That we are bringing the message of God to the world bringing the good news to the world. And that we have the power of God in us, around us, and that God himself is protecting us. He is shielding us as we engage in in sharing this message with those that are around us. And that we are born not of corruptible seed. Not of the seed of mankind. Not even the seed of Of some special chosen nation like Israel. No. We are born of an incorruptible seed. Of the word of God. The living word. That was made flesh. Through birth. So that we could be made spirit. Through him. Jesus is the word. Remember in 1 Peter. Chapter 1 verse 24. He quotes Isaiah when he says. All flesh is grass." And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And we are of the word. The word is in us. And we speak the word. We are the messengers of that word. And so we too will endure forever. We will perhaps... Well, we will for sure fade in our bodies. I haven't noticed it happening to me yet. Okay, maybe a little. But ultimately, who we are in Christ Jesus, this new creature in Christ, will live forever. Because the word is in us. Christ Jesus is in us. So in this light, in this understanding that Peter had in that first passage, in that first chapter... He continues, picking it back up in chapter 2. He says, therefore, <coughs> First, First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious few words in here that, uh, well, they can be a little troubling. I mean, firstly, he's writing this to the church. Haven't they already done this? Haven't they already laid aside these things? You know, we, we don't like to think about it, but we don't really want to associate ourselves with words like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. We don't like that. The idea that we would still do those things, that is uncomfortable. And yet, we all can do these things. We all can have these things in us. We're Christians. We're not supposed to do these things. And yet, we do. And Peter didn't say, If you have these things. Notice that? There's no if there. If you have these things, then lay them down. He just said, you got them, lay them down. So we have to come to that place where we can accept that. That these are the things that are in us. In that old man trying to pull that new creature in Christ back down to the earth. And these are the characteristics, the elements that he'll try and use to bring us back down. So he says, lay them down. He knows that we have these faults. Has he had those faults. We all have those faults. We all have these failings in our flesh, in our sinful, mortal nature. We have these attributes, and they're built Maybe we don't have all of them. Maybe you personally, maybe only have one. Or two. Or one at a time. Or two at a time. Depending on the circumstance. So he says, lay them down. Lay down malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. Now, some of these words are a little old shall we say. I mean, we don't really use these terms in exactly the same way, or even some of these terms hardly at all. If you think about it. You, know, you, you come to church and somebody says, well, hey, good to see you. How was your week? Well, I had a kind of a situation at work. that wasn't very good. I had malice towards my boss. And I spoke evil of him. That would be a little odd for us to talk like that, wouldn't it? That's, that's kind of not in our culture. I was envious, and I was hypocritical this week. You know, I do hear the word hypocritical used a lot of other people, right? I hear that actually pretty commonly heard at work. I don't know. I mean, he's being hypocritical. He, he says do this, and, and he does that. You and I, we, we don't do that. So malice, what does malice mean? Well in the Greek it simply means wickedness, evil, trouble. Do we have malice? <laughs> do we cause trouble? Are we wicked at times? Deceit. Well, deceit means to bait to be crafty, to kind of design something, a situation, to be stealthy in our actions, what we're doing. Hypocrisy. This is an interesting word, because I'm doing it right now. Because in one sense, hypocrisy just means to speak, and its very, very simplest format is to speak. But as it enters into our language and as we understand it, it means to play act, to pretend, to speak in a manner on which you're presenting one thought or idea that maybe you yourself know very differently. Envy, now maybe we don't say envy very often, but I might say I'm kind of jealous of that, that guy. Look at that nice car he has. Look at those soccer skills he has. I won't say the word, the name Ronaldo and his soccer skills because I I don't like that guy. Not that I'm envious in any way. And then evil speaking. Well, evil speaking, I'm pretty sure we've all done this. Pretty sure we all struggle with this to defame, to slander, to talk about in a bad way someone or something with the intent to damage and defame their reputation or their good name. <clears throat> Boy, and you can, you can think about each one of these, right? And be reminded of circumstances, maybe just this past week where you might have done one of those things. And it's difficult to avoid to the world that we live in. And in, in many ways, to my mind, these five characteristics could be summed up as just generally doing evil. They're evil. There is serious consequences that take place and do take place in people's lives when we do these things, either in our own or in others. There are serious consequences to these things. Brian was reminding me the other day, and I think I've mentioned this before, but you know the Google company, everybody knows the Google company, and one of their uh, mottos or slogans or uh, principles that they as a corporation had was do no evil. Do no evil, or don't be evil, I guess is what it was. But it's interesting because now they've changed it. They've changed it to do the right thing. And you might think, well, I can agree with that. Do the right thing? Sure. It's a, it's a more positive, right? It's on the positive side, as opposed to don't do evil. But just do the right thing. And yet, what's the right thing? Real subjective, isn't it? It can change with the time. Doing the right thing. Is not the same as not doing evil. Don't be evil. At its core, communicates this idea, this truth, that doing evil, acting evil, supporting or encouraging evil is much more in our nature than we like to think that it is. Doing evil is easy. Fall into it. Before we know it, Laying it down, laying it down over there and leaving it alone and never picking it up is much harder. M. Scott Pack said, and he was an American psychiatrist and an author of some books that you may have heard of, The Road Less Traveled and The People of the Lie, said, The whole course of human history may depend on a change of heart in one solitary and even humble individual. For it is in the solitary mind and soul of the individual that the battle between good and evil is waged, and ultimately won or lost. You agree with that? Let me read it to you again. The whole course of human history may depend on a change of heart in one solitary and even humble individual, for it is in the solitary mind and soul of the individual, that the battle between good and evil is waged, and ultimately won, or lost. On the the face of it, I agreed with it. Certainly that last part, that there's this battle going on inside of me, and inside of each one of you, a battle between good and evil. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but is that all that there is? Is that all that's really going on here? Is that really all that, that Peter was trying to say? Was that, hey, push that evil side, that that bad side of your nature down and, and just be the good. Is that really what he's saying? It's, I think, natural for us to look at ourselves, look at the world and say, well, evil comes from the heart, right? The world without mankind is just It's just the world. It's our decisions, our thoughts, our ideas, what we do from those ideas and from the heart that creates the things that are evil. The wars, the slaughter, the the persecutions, all the different evil things that we can think about in history. There is a battle inside of us between the good in us. And the evil in us. But I don't think that's all that Peter is talking about. Because if we look at it like that, which side are you on? Are you on the good side of you or the bad side of you? If there's a battle between good and evil inside of us, well, <laughs> I'm on the good side. But is that completely true? Why then does the scripture say. In Jeremiah 17. And verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. One of those words that Peter said. It's deceitful. Above everything else. Above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? This is the condition of the human heart. And what's interesting is we we tend to quote that passage, and then we don't read the next part. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doing. That's the answer. Who can know this heart that we have? God, the Lord, the Eternal, knows this heart. And it is naturally wicked. Jesus himself says in Matthew 19, 17, so he said to them, why do you call me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandment. So this idea that human nature has good and evil struggling inside of it, I understand what What maybe the intent of that statement is. But from the scriptures it says. The human heart. Naturally. Is evil. And that's where we start. And it's important. For us to recognize that. Human nature is not good. Jesus said it. God said it. Our hearts are naturally wicked. And deceitful. Human nature is not half good and half bad. Compare ourselves to God. That is the only benchmark. Now, when we compare ourselves to one another, well, we have varying grades, right? Well, you're calling me evil, Matt. I'm not, I'm not like a Hitler. And I understand what we're saying there. But as far as God is concerned, the distance from us to him is so huge. We are nothing close to him. We are evil. And he is good. He is good. Now I'm not a philosopher or a psychologist. But I'm, I feel like what Peter is trying to say here. He's trying to underscore these five characteristics. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And what he's describing them as. Is tool. tools. You pick up a tool, don't you? And you're going to do something with it. You pick up that tool and you do something. In Mark's case, he tried to take off his leg. But we pick up the tool. Now, if somebody had said, hey, baggy pants, lay that tool down. This is going to happen to you if you don't. Well, then what will you have done? We laid that tool down. So in many ways, that's what Peter is trying to say, is that these are tools. Now, we don't think about it that way, but why do people do evil things? Why do people do bad things? Why is that? Well, to get something, right? We get something out of it. We're, we're driven that way. We want to achieve something. We want to gain something. We, power, resources, wealth, position, respect, comfort, safety, security, life itself. Right? Those are the things that we are most concerned with in our existence, naturally. We want to protect ourselves, protect our family, protect our way of life. If you think about it, outside of, you know, the Hitlers and the Stalins and and the the incurably wicked people that have, have, you know, darkened the earth, outside of those folks, and maybe, you know, some of the psychopaths and individuals that just are completely devoid of empathy and compassion, almost just physically broken. Outside of those, why do human beings do evil? The average human being. Why do we do that? Why are we hypocritical and talk about others? Why do we envy and practice deception? Because we get something out of it. We must. We must be thinking that we can get something out of this situation. Why would we speak evil of someone? Well, think about it. If you've ever done that, why did you do that? Was it to raise them up? No, it's to diminish that individual, isn't it? It's to minimize their importance or their value. It's to reduce them and raise up me. Maybe we've done it in the work environment. Maybe we've done it in, in our families. Why do we act deceitfully? To gain an advantage. I get this person kind of focusing over here. If I deceive them, then then I can can get this outcome. People do things like this. They can gain something. Gain advantage. To win something. Money and power. To win others to your side. The way that Peter describes these things it seems very much like to me as tools. Lay down these tools. Lay down these tools of wickedness. Lay them down. You don't need those tools anymore. You don't need that circular saw. You don't need that hammer. You don't need the malice. You don't need the envy. You are different. We are now different. And it's more than so we're not sinning it's more than just to be righteous. It's something else. If you remember back in, in chapter 1, for those of you that, that were here, he started off that chapter saying something has begun in us. Something new has begun in us. We are now secure. So if we would use deception, if we would use malice to secure ourselves and to secure our circumstances there's no need to do that now. God has us covered we are no longer needing to secure all of these things our life our resources we are new creatures and God has provided for us in those ways we are richer now in Christ Jesus than we could ever be on this earth We just are waiting for it to come. We're waiting for him to bring that kingdom to this earth. What is riches then? What is wealth and power? We don't need these tools. We need to pick up other tools. We no longer need to work to contrive and manipulate and deceive or envy the things of the world. They've been given to us through Christ Jesus better things than that. Instead, Peter says in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure, which means the guileless, the opposite of evil, the guileless, the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, which means good. And have we tasted that the Lord is good? Have we? Absolutely we have. We have tasted that he is good. We should eat more of that. We should consume more of that. It's guileless. It's the pure, nourishing milk of the word. Are we content to grow by that milk of the word? By those means? Are we content to lay down deceit and evil speaking? To get ahead? Because that's what we're talking about. Are we content to lay down those tools of wickedness and only live on the Word of God and on what it teaches us and how to live and how to engage with our brothers and sisters that have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth? You may have experienced this, but I work in a very political environment. The company I work in is getting more and more political by the day. And it just seems to be as we add more people and we're in a a growth phase, so we're just adding and hiring more people, it gets more political somehow. What an odd association. And it is hard to not do the things that everybody else is doing to get ahead, to be successful, to be seen as producing. To get that promotion, to get that opportunity, to get that project completed. It's hard not to do the same thing. And they are the same things that what Peter has talked about. Now I'm going to give this person just a little bit of the information. I'd set him up a little bit. Seen it happen. Professionals that are supposed to be all... Pulling to one goal. Human nature wins out. It's hard not to do those same things. And I've been thinking, how can I accomplish the goals? How can I be successful in my job and stay away from those things? I have this couch in my office. I, I kind of swiped it from the, uh, the, the, the CEO when he... Remodeled as his office. And it's kind of a running joke that it's the psychiatry couch because people come in there and they just spurt out all their troubles. And uh, I guess I have a listening ear or something. So it happens a lot. It's hard not to then take this and use it. You know, people talk share this with so-and-so. And And it just creates this environment, right, of of this evil speaking. and It's so easy to drop into that. Uh, One time I was like, I can't remember what I'm allowed to say or not say. There's so many different things that people have said, don't share this with anybody. So I try not to share any of it. I think do my best instead I need to desire the pure guile free honest open milk of the word reading the word of God understanding how to behave how to handle gossipers how to handle those that have malice and to not myself do those things why because the word of God is the tool of that replaces all the other tools that Peter said to lay down. A very familiar passage in Psalm 119. We go to this often when we're talking about the Word of God and its value to our lives. 119, starting in 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's where we stop. You see it on, you know, Christian literature and, Posters and beautiful paintings. A little lighthouse scene or somebody going through the woods with a lamp. And it's good. But it continues. In fact, the whole of Psalm 119 is a meditation on the word of God. It's a meditation on, that entire, on the entire book. Certainly as they understood it then. We should read that. And they're affirmations. Because when you read it, you're like, wow, this guy who's writing this is perfect. He can just do all of these things. But they're affirmations for us to adopt and live by and try and do all of these things. The tools for us to pick up and lay down the tools of man. Verse 106, it says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. What are those? What are the righteous judgments of God? If we're going to keep them, we need to know them. I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgment. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. And I take that to mean... My life's in my own hands, right? I'm an adult. I can choose what I want to do, choose to ruin my life, or I can choose to walk with Christ on that narrow path. It's kind of scary. Most of the time, we don't think about it, but we hold our internal life in our hands. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Again, they've laid a snare. They've laid this trap. They're deceptive. So I have deceived them. No. He said, I have not strayed from your precepts. So we don't trade like for like when those things are done against us when the the tools of wickedness and malice are done against us, we should try, as Jesus did, to answer with Scripture. The wicked come against us with tools of sin and evil, with hypocrisy and evil speaking. And it's so easy to pick up those tools and fight back. The psalmist says, no, I've not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as an heritage forever. For they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. When's the end of forever? Again, this idea that we, we need to use the tools that God has provided and lay down the tools of the evil human nature We have our inheritance. A heritage from God. Why do we need to use man's tools. To fatten our 401k. And to get ahead. At probably the expense of others. Using the tools that God has given us. Is all we have to do. Pick up the pure milk. The pure nutritious word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man or a young woman, and I would dare say an old man or an old woman, any of us, cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I need to pray that more. You know, I pray for things that are in my life. And that's okay. I pray for challenges that are before me. God, please help me to do that. I should pray that more. Teach me your statutes. Help me to really understand. Not just don't eat this and observe this, this, this day or this practice. But the meaning behind it and the depth behind it how it's going to change my character and my nature. With lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the ways of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word can't forget his word. That's everything to us. And we should read these passages over and over to remind us to look at the word of God for answers, for guidance, for instruction. They are riches. They are rewards. And not just in the kingdom. It's not just hope deferred. It's not just riches deferred. It's now richness in our lives through his word his law his commandments as paul told timothy in 2 timothy 3:16 he also tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable it's profitable it brings about something that was not there before it increases it doubles and triples And it keeps expanding. It's profitable for us. For doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. That the woman of God may be complete. And thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then we can be good. When we are equipped when we pick up the tools that God has given us and we lay down the tools of malice and deceit and envy and evil speaking and hypocrisy, we lay those down and we pick up his tools, then we're thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not because of our own cunningness or craftiness. Not our own malice and evil speaking. I want you to just take a minute and think about a circumstance or a struggle that you're having right now in your life. Because I know you're having one. It may be small in your mind compared to others. It doesn't matter. It may be huge. It may be all-encompassing. It may be a struggle within yourself. It may be a struggle within a relationship with someone else. It could be even a, a medical condition. Whatever that is, be thinking about that. Something hurtful. Something that goes very deep into our hearts and minds. If you are in such a place, and I have been in such a place, ask yourself, am I approaching this with the tools of man? Am I trying to connive and work this situation Am I being hypocritical? If it is within a relationship within, of somebody else, am I, am I talking bad about it? Am I using the tools of man? Or am I using the tools of God? Am I looking to his word for guidance? Am I praying before I study and asking him to open? And help us understand his word. His statutes. Of the methods we are using. Of God or of the human heart. Are they good? Or are they evil? Now. Don't take this the wrong way. Because if you're unwilling to ask the question. There's a good chance they're evil. Because that is so easy for us to move into. Is to use the wrong tools. So ask ourselves the question. Are we using God's tools. Or man's tools. Turning back to 1 Peter chapter 2. and verse 4 he says. Coming to him. As to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men. But chosen. By God and precious. You also as living stones. Are being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What was wondered about that? That phrase, spiritual sacrifices. What are those? What are spiritual sacrifices? Well sacrifice is something valuable, firstly, isn't it? It's something that we offer to God that has value. You know, back in the days of the temple, Solomon's temple, let's say, with the tabernacle before it, you could take a precious animal, couldn't you? You could take uh, take a bull or a sheep, a goat, according to the law, and you could take it down to the priest. It had value. These things are pricey little critters they can they can produce for us so they have value within themselves and you take it down you give it to the priest and he pulls its head back and he locks it in place with his legs and he kills it right in front of you because you're offering up this sacrifice for your sin and he'll take that blood and he'll sprinkle it on the on the horns of the altar And then he'll cut open that animal and take out the parts that are not supposed to be sacrificed. And then he will place it in the altar. And just burn up this animal, this perfect, sinless creature that had tremendous value of its own. He'll just burn that up. You know, and I bet you there was a lot of people used to wonder... Looking at Israel from the outside in, analyze those guys go through a lot of critters. They've got to be really sinful and really rich because they've got all of these things to burn. there's a lot of value isn't it? Millions. I, I wonder what the dollar figure was on a given day of value. sacrificed. So sacrifices have this great value. So if we were to offer up spiritual sacrifices, what do you think these things would look like? To you, what do they look like? What is it that you can offer up to God that's a spiritual sacrifice you can give to him? It has to have value. Well, I tithe? Okay. Is that a sacrifice? Maybe in some circumstances it is. Jesus talked about the woman and the, and the mites, right? And It's all she had. Maybe for her that was the sacrifice. But is it, if you got a good paycheck and you don't really, you don't really struggle too much, is that the sacrifice? Or is there something else? Something that would really cost you if you gave it up. The Apostle Paul says this way in Romans chapter 12, and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will I think these two terms are similar. A spiritual sacrifice. Because Paul doesn't mean go and cut your body and go sacrifice your body. It's a living sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. Turning back to First Peter chapter two, verse four, he says that we are to come to him, to Jesus, a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And that we also are living stone. Being built into this house of God. Perhaps being this living sacrifice, this spiritual sacrifice, is being willing to accept the temporary consequences of not using the tool. Because maybe we're very successful in our deceits. Maybe we gain advantage in our careers or in society by talking about people, talking bad about people. Maybe we are successful because we use the tools of man. Perhaps not using those tools will result in others winning and us losing. Others gaining and not us. Others getting the promotion ahead of of us or being more successful than us. I experienced something like that. And it was, to to use Mark's title, by the grace of God that I understood something at a moment in time in my career. I had built a department, I had hired all the people, I had written the, the policies and the procedures. I had done all the work to build a help desk inside of this company from scratch. And somebody else was promoted to be the manager of it. And he exhibited a lot of the tools of man. And I don't mean to attack him. He, he just didn't know better. I could have tried to do the same. Maybe I wasn't smart enough. I don't know. But he was an enemy. I prayed for him. And all my bitterness and all my anger fell away. It just disappeared. And I didn't ever get any of that bitterness and anger back. It doesn't bother me anymore. By the grace of God, I learned a lesson. And I went on to a different company. God bless me anyway. So maybe that was part of the sacrifice that I had to give up, was to not do the same things that man does to us. God could intervene. Yeah. He could could change the circumstance and make it so that we win when we were walking righteously. But the opposite also happens, right? And we see that in the word of God and we need to decide to use God's tool anyway so that's the question we must answer each one of us is what is the sacrifices we are willing to give up for God to him and how are we using the tools that he's given us are we using his methods and his words instead of the tools of, of man cannot come to him, you know, hurry. You think about it. If we're being built into this spiritual house, and we are these living stones that he is bringing us all together, piece by piece, every single one of us, joined together, do we want to be using the tools of man as we're being built into the house of God? I guarantee you, God's not using those tools to build this house the house of God is not being built with those instruments instead he says that we are to be in verse 5 a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus this is our reasonable service and the word of God is our tool set by which we get there